0: Welcome to the Guru Live Masterclass on the BAFTA-winning comedy entertainment program, The League of Their Own. I'm Emma Bullimore, and I'm joined today by the team behind the show, which includes series producer, Jack Shalaker. Did I say that right? Hello, yes, yes. yes, Come on. 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 Executive producer, Murray Boland. Games producer, Andrew Norgate, who also works on Gladiators, which is extremely cool to me. (laughs) uh, And the show's production manager, Georgie Nichols. Thank Thank you so much for being here with us today. Murray, maybe you could take us back to the start, as Mm -hmm. they say, Guy wanted a sports show. Yeah. What were the ideas that were flying around that room? What What were the priorities? What were you thinking about pitching?
1: Um, well, I, I suppose I probably shouldn't say this, but... uh <laughs> it, it, John, it, John. It's what are you going to say? Well, because the thing, the, the, the original, the reason why um, we wanted to do something in this area was started really with um, Eric Cantona. And um, he... Uh, did this thing at the end of uh, a match between Man United and Leeds? I think he was he was substituted, and um, one of the I don't know if anybody remembers this, but one of the fans started racially abusing him, and instead of trudging off the pitch, he ran at the hoardings at the side and scissor kicked the fan oh in the are, head. <laughs> and uh, I I shouldn't say this really, but I thought that is fucking. That is the best thing I've ever seen on a football pitch, it's hilarious. And uh, it was the beginning of uh, this time in football where suddenly all these extraordinary characters were coming, you know, the most, these godlike players, the likes of whom had never played football in Britain before, were suddenly turning up. And you were suddenly getting really interested in not what they were doing on the pitch, but all about them off the pitch and the whole soap opera of football suddenly became an interesting thing. And what was clear over a period of, and I always hated football, but suddenly I loved it for that reason. (laughs) And um, uh, what was clear was all the research showed that um, there was a huge burgeoning new audience for football and it was largely female. And there'd been nothing like that before. So when Sky came along to us and said that we wanted to do a sports quiz, the thought was, well, let's make it about this, which really the subject matter is not what happens on a football pitch, it's what happens off it. There's an amazing soap opera that people are genuinely obsessed with and a new audience is obsessed with it. And, um, and so that was one thing. And then there was a guy in the office who loved quizzes and he had this um, quiz called Sorted that he'd come up with where it's just about ranking things in the right order and we could never get it commissioned. And uh, so we thought, fuck it, let's just take that format where you rank things in the right order, apply it to a panel show, so change it slightly, but basically every question's about ranking things in the right order, but make the questions, although they're about sport, not about sport. So there'd be questions about, Classically, um, who cried the longest when they lost a match, rank them in the right order, or who spent the most? which sports star spent the most on a present for themselves, or stuff that was utterly relatable even if you didn't like sport. And that's the thing that I think subsequently has been really mm. interesting. You often get that from people saying, you know, I'm a sports fan, but my family are now watching it because they've suddenly realized they don't have to be interested in sport. And so that's what we pitched something that was 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 all about that kind of area, which was quite cool, where suddenly these sports stars were the front page of newspapers, not back page, and it wasn't really about sport.
0: Right, and the strap line was it doesn't take sport too seriously that it was you made a thing of that, didn't you
1: Well, I think a thing was made of that, okay but um I don't <laughs> think that was precisely what it was about. it was precise, I think the thing it was about is what has always been is. I mean, everybody on that show completely loves sport, mm-hmm. but they never talk about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they do, we cut it out. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, which pisses them off. And, uh, but it's, um, it is, it's really about very much more relatable things, which even people who love sport are really interested in. So if you have a chat in a pub about sport, um, you, will char- you will chat about very relatable stuff. You won't keep going on about statistics and score lines. I mean nobody's interested really I think beyond mm-hmm. a hardcore nerdy group of people so that's what we were trying to avoid.
0: And how long was that development process?
1: So we were asked it was very funny Sky said they were looking for a, a sports panel show and we thought they'd only said it to us <laughs> but they'd said it to 50 companies <laughs> and, uh, so we uh, spent about I think a week and a weekend writing up this idea myself and this Quiz quiz guy Paul Brassy, and uh, and it yeah it's so about a week and a bit. They were interested. I think there was another uh, panel channel Sky uh, panel show that Sky were interested in, and um, so finally we got shortlisted down to do. And then the process of actually making the show that we did took about four months before we made a pilot, and a lot of kind of very fortuitous things because although here I am telling you all about how this brilliant idea came. It really wasn't about the idea it was about who made it and we were very lucky to be able to and it has always been about who makes it uh lucky to get this guy who uh, called Jim Pullen, who was a complete legend in terms of making comedy panel shows and a really brilliant writer and he'd done everything you know from not the kind nine o'clock news forward and he would normally never never come and worked with us because we didn't really do many comedy comedy shows but he wanted to make one about sport and um, so he agreed to come on board he then convinced uh, david taylor who's um the other exec on the show now but who's been making it most of the time all the way through to also do it and they they really knew how to make panel shows they're really truly brilliant and we knew at the time, uh, because we'd done a couple of shows, where James Corden had been a guest on them. And he was always the funniest guest. Or oh, even though you, you knew him as an actor, he'd come on these things, there would always be, be these comedians. And James Corden was funnier than a lot of them. So we thought, let's try and get James Corden. And um, they, I think Jim and David managed to convince him. They had a meeting. He said he was interested in talking about it. He loved sport, had a meeting with him. He just said yes. And to be honest, the combination of those people that idea and and james from then on we were re- we really had something i think
0: and we'll talk a bit more about casting in a minute but georgie the whole point of this show or what makes it so much fun to watch is that it feels effortless and breezy and it's banter but behind the scenes oh my goodness getting not quite so much so how mm. tell us about how you how much work goes into making it feel so effortless.
2: Um, well, it's the team of people, um, aside from David, who's still our exec, um, we have a brilliant team. Jack heads up now. Um, and there's different departments. So there's the producers and their APs and research and they'll do the questions. Um, they'll find tidbits of information that nobody else has found and they'll do chats with the celebrity guests and find out all this information and that will feed into the script. And then we have, um, the archive team who look into all the sports clips and not sports clips and, you know the most ridiculous things of
0: behind the scenes. I mean, this time we
2: had somebody in the bathroom. Uh, Just, you know, bizarre clips, they have archived in. And all these different elements come together. Game is a huge part of it, obviously. Um, Everybody works together, and then I suppose part of my role in the production management is just putting it all together, putting everybody in touch with the right people so that when it comes to the day, everybody knows what they're doing and all these ideas come to fruition. In, and it, it, do, it does go into three hours, doesn't it, Mario? Yeah, it this. really does. Um, it's pretty slick. Fourteen series in is pretty slick. <laughs> <laughs> do you know
1: there is a very interesting thing about that because um, the uh, whatever about the idea, I, David and I used to always have these conversations. So we talk about the original idea, and and David his view would be always, "Well, the idea is bullshit." So and uh, actually, what you need to do with these shows is take format out of them. Mm. Because if people can sit around and talk and not have to sort of housekeep, you know, and this mm. rounds about that, this this is how this works, which is not interesting, and you just let them talk and they are funny, it will be funny. And, and that has generally mm. been, between Jack and, and David, the approach that's been taken. So if you look at the show now, if there's a format in there, well, well I can't see it. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's really become about the relationships and the conversations between them. And the all the kind of brilliant ideas and all those kind of things that are going there flow from that because it all feels, you know, pretty natural and and unencumbered by lots of housekeeping. But the other thing that's really completely key to this is how it's edited. So if you look at most panel shows, they look very jumpy and disjointed. And uh, and this mm. is something that David has always been, as yeah. very keen on, and, and that Jack is amazingly good at. You need to edit those conversations like conversations. So if they start beginning to look disjointed and you're looking like you're jumping from one thing or somebody looks slightly like there's some form of a continuity issue and you can't quite spot it, imperceptibly you'll begin to feel uncomfortable watching it and you won't be able to warm to it. So there's great warmth to that show and a huge part of that isn't just the the amazing people who are on it. It's how it's cut together and the whole thing feels like a very, very uh, coherent and natural conversation, and that's completely key. And it's if I was to say there was one thing that set the program uh, aside from others, it's that, and it's the one thing that never gets spoken about. And um, it's I think David. That's a good thing, though, isn't it? It's true, it it's means true no yeah. one notices it. I think that's the whole yeah, point. Yeah, absolutely it? not, because that is three hours down to forty-five minutes. So you know, sometimes some of the funnier stuff mm. might not go in because it just. You know, it doesn't fit.
0: doesn't flow. Yeah. And how much more ambitious do you think you've been able to be from as we've gone through, and we're now at Series 14? Because as a, as a viewer, it feels like it just keeps getting bigger.
3: It's a challenge, isn't it, every year to try and make it feel bigger and better than Series 4, but without, at the same time, changing it too much. Because if you, you've got something good that's, you know, 14 Series proves that it's going well... If you make a massive shift to that, the viewer notices it too much and they go, these guys are trying too hard. This is ridiculous. So it's been like a gradual change as you go on. Also comes down to budgetary constraints, like we need the money to go bigger and better. So it's how you, you know, Georgie, we work with Georgie's team and how to use the money the best way we can. And just trying to, always trying to think what's surprising to the viewer. Because as soon as you do something that they expect you to do, you've lost. And it's when you go when they tune in and go, I didn't think they were going to do that, I had no idea that was going to come up, that's brilliant. And I think if you look at other shows in our genre that are brilliant, and I think Top Gear in its prime is a good yeah, example good. of that. When it was on BBC Two and it was Clarkson, May and Hammond, you tune in and go, I can't believe they're doing that. And that's, that's the reaction we, we want to achieve. And I think there's a couple of points this series where we did that. And 14 series in, that's pretty good going, I think. But that's that's the that's the aim. But it's hard. I think that's changed. We try not to do the same idea twice on our show as well. That's kind of like a rule we have in the office. If some we only bring back an idea if it's if bringing it back is the joke. But we're one of the few shows on television that pack each series with brand new ideas. And when you actually think about that, you think about the other panel shows that are on television. They're heavily formatted, Mm. whereas our show is like a panel show that's been supersized. It's a massive entertainment bonanza. They're going on VT, they're doing challenges in other countries, they're going on massive road trips and at the end they're doing games that wouldn't look out of place on a Saturday night on ITV. I think it's doing that that helps us keep it fresh, I think.
4: i tell you what, there's also the move from Studio D to the new George Lucas uh, uh, Studios up on L Street. Studio D. Sorry, I'm talking games because that's the only thing that really counts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what that means, that you're about to say, is we went from the Muppet Show studio we went from to the, to the Star Wars studio. Exactly. Literally. So, so yeah. suddenly we had a lot more
4: height, a lot more yeah, yeah. space to dick about with, and that's that's really good. It's really important. Well, trying to matter. Because ambitions. a lot of
0: that pressure to supersize, it, I must come to your door. Does it?
4: Oh, they don't know it's happening. It <laughs> just happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> no, Andy's amazing. <laughs> no, honestly, it's 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 great to have a bigger space to play in, and it's really it's not bigger; it's a lot higher, uh, and we can now. Well, here's something else that I, I think we do. We try to. I always try to use the audience, the audience roster as a, as a lovely angle. So we can do some sliding down through the audience, or big balls rolling down through anything that gets them involved. If they feel closer and more intimate, and it, it's great. And we try and do a lot of the games. Out on the studio floor, when you can, I can, see, you can see my face. You know, you're, you're, we're that close, and you're covered in gunge, pulling a tug of war rope, whatever. It's all silly game, but you're right there, and I love that. I really mm. love that. And
0: let's talk a bit more about casting because you talked mm. about why you wanted James. Talk a bit more about about why you wanted the other the other regulars. Well,
1: we, we kind of worked it out. Um, that you needed if you weren't really going to talk about sport you needed people on the show who clearly knew about it in order for anybody to take it seriously so um we uh uh, jamie redknapp was key name on sky so he was he was perfect for it although it was very funny because i know the initial conversations we had with jamie all he was Concerned about was whether he was going to win the quiz, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we kept saying, kind of yeah. it won't really matter. Nobody will care." And he said, like, "No, what are you talking about? Because he, he's well, you know an elite professional sportsman, and what he knows about is winning, and that's what matters to." Him. And so he was really freaked out about you know whether I should do the show, and you know I might not win, and all this. so that went on for a lot. And then there was lots of chat around. Freddie uh, was uh, still. Uh, Playing for England and had a you know a, a proper cricket career and still playing in the Indian Premier League, and so we had lots and lots of conversations about whether Freddie would or wouldn't do it, and right up until the last uh, couple of days, I think before we recorded, I think it was the series because we had somebody else did the pilot. I shouldn't mention who it was, and um, uh, and then finally Freddie said he would he would do it, and I think for the first series the pair of them just looked like they're thinking. Fuck have I got this. <laughs> and yeah. it was only when the second series came along that they thought, oh, okay, I get this. This is quite funny. I mean, Freddie,
3: Freddie said he cried on the way to the studio, the first show. <laughs> what? And he said, what? he said, why did you cry? And he went, because I've realized that this is now the rest of my life. He's oh. <laughs> so like, just been like, he just won the Ashes with England. Do you know what I mean? He was like he was the George Best of cricket. Yeah. And he was like this. But now you watch it, and you wouldn't be... You would, you can't tell them, apart from comedians and other panel shows, they're that good. And you forget that Jamie Redknapp was one of the best footballers England's ever produced. Absolutely. Freddie Flintoff is literally the George Best of cricket. Yeah. And now they're going toe-to-toe comedically with people like Lee Mack. And they are genuinely
1: yeah. as funny. They totally are brilliant at it. It's incredible uh, to
3: see people able to do that. I think in terms of casting, I think, aim, I think the aim is to create an atmosphere where people are watching it going, these people are genuinely, genuinely friends. And they are. And they're friendly enough with each other to be able to take the piss out of each other. And I think that is like the secret ingredient. So say you're down the pub with your mates and people are taking the mickey out of each other and everyone's laughing, even the person on the receiving end of the joke can laugh because you're all such good mates. If you can create that in a, in a comedy entertainment show where there's multiple people, you're onto a hit, I think, because that is when the viewer goes, I want to be in that pub with these people. And I think that's what people have with a league of their own. They go, I believe this banter. I believe that these guys are friends. And they are. And I think, you know, you speak to Freddie and he'll say, oh, last weekend I was at the cricket with Jamie. And they're hanging out and you go, right, we've got something here. This is going to be good.
1: But the thing about that's interesting, that whole thing about this, kind of how they take the piss out of each other, that was something that Jim Pullen originally was brilliant at. He was always looking for something that he could hang an ongoing joke on, mm. and the joke clearly after the first one that he was pushing for, um, doing jokes about Freddie and drinking, and jokes about Jamie leaving school early and not being the brightest. <laughs> they just went, just tried loads of different things. Some things were just funny, so he we went with them, and they got them, and they kind of quite enjoyed. It. Mm. They ran with them, and Jamie thought they were funny too,
0: mm. and
1: eventually this whole soap opera. Based on these relationships and these caricatures of what they're like, um, emerge. And that's what people like. So, although the ideas are different, Mm. you really want, there's a world you've created um, with all kinds of things that viewers are familiar with, and you don't want to go outside of that. So, we had a very, Jack just made an amazing, the last series is just, I think, one of our best ever. Um, But James couldn't do all of them. So we thought, okay, let's have guest hosts. And I'm saying, yeah, let's get all the biggest sort of superstars in the world of sport to come on and guest host the show. And we can market and blah, blah, blah. And Jack and David kept saying, no, no, that won't work. We need to get all our regulars to be the hosts. Because that will, I I remember thinking, is that the right thing to do? You really <laughs> do something amazing here. And, um, and it was completely the right thing to do. You know, you know, as soon as you got somebody from outside of that world hosting the show, it just felt slightly strange. And whenever one of, you know, R- Ramesh or Freddie or, 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 or Ben took it, it was just brilliant. Well, because it's just another position to put them in where you could, you know, you could take the piss out of each other for a new reason.
0: Well, we're going to talk about Ramesh, but let's have a little look at a clip of him in action, shall we, if we can?
1: There is
5: actually a service available for fathers who lack sympathy for what their partners are about to go through. And we've got it here tonight. Are you up for this, Ron? Will you, will you try this? Face a piss, mate. Okay, go, <laughs> go over to our hospital bed. This is Kate Thomas. Uh, She is a medical professional. Tony and Jamie, you head over as well, uh, to hold his hand and help him with his breathing exercises. Women are tougher than men, but that's a fact of life. So Ron, this is going to simulate childbirth by sending... Electrical that? currents through man. your abdomen. Okay? Oh, now man. before we start, I do have to read out these warnings, okay? Well, whoa, well, whoa, 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 legally I have to. So just you have to listen to this. Uh, you shouldn't do this if you have any of these issues. Heart problems, yes. metal plates anywhere in your body. Yep. There's some other bits about weight issues and if you wear glasses, but I'm sure that's not important. So, <laughs> the simulator ranges from levels one to eight. If you can withstand level eight for 10 seconds, let me tell you, it will be completely worth it because you know what you're going to get? A bonus point for the red team. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, you sorry. give in, in your son, you give in, you are in deep shit. <laughs> Maybe, the if, point now. Give birth James, and love the shit kicked And stand with our nurse and the give machine. Give it your hand. Come here, big. Ramesh, that's it. Hold his hand. Come on, big You're a team it's it's now. You can, can do it, this, can it, lovely. Can you can pop up for me. Jesus, guys. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. <That's laughs> the
0: greatest,
4: uh... Okay, guys, I don't, I don't want to worry you, but I, I am crowning.
5: <laughs> <laughs> hey, are we ready to begin? Yeah. Okay. Oh! <laughs> oh, my God. What, le- what, level that that? what level was that? What level was that? What level was That That was <laughs> level two. That was level two. Tony, <laughs> so hold his hand. Tony, so hold his hand. keep, him, keep Just, him there. Don't you give him oh, that three. Oh, don't you give him. Come on, come on, come on. Oh, oh, oh Oh, God, e. that's just put it to level e. It's at level
0: like, four. Okay, oh, come just on. Just
4: put it to level eight. <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter with you? <laughs> Very
0: silly, isn't it? So, are you responsible for that?
4: No, nope, not me. <laughs> I
0: have. That yeah. yeah, it's, it's <laughs> so simple and yet so genius. Yeah,
3: Talk yeah. Us it. Uh, yeah, I just remember Romesh saying, "Telling, I mean, we were doing a question about match the sports star." To their yeah, the thing, what was it, their, fan, their dream experience or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. But anyway, a boxer said, I want to experience the pain of childbirth. A mad boxer called Deontay Wilde, who's heavyweight champion of the world. He's got one of the belts anyway. Uh, and he said that, he said, I and it was in the papers, people were going, This guy's mad, he wants to experience pain of childbirth. And loads of women were going, there's absolutely no way this guy could take the pain. And Ramesh had said to me, he could go, yeah, I actually think women make a bit of a fuss about that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> he said, and we got him to say it on the show, he went, he, he told a story about how he, he'd he been on a special diet that was really high in fiber and he hadn't gone for a shit for four days. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he did go for a shit, he said, he told his wife, he went, I don't care how much childbirth that, <laughs> what I've just done. So I was like, say that, just say that. say that, say that, say that, say that, on the show, say that. And so... We, saw, we arranged for He was oh. like, are you going to make me do it? And he was up for it. And so he told that story and we got that stuff. That, that is a real service that they do provide men in the build-up. to uh, Say if their wife's pregnant and they're not being sympathetic enough, their wife can make them do it. But one serious thing about that is that it's a good idea because it comes from truth. Like it's based on a real fact. From so, sport. From sport. So a boxer said it. It's based on something that Romish does believe, even <laughs> for a comedic effect, he does actually think that. And then the service is real. So it's not something we made up that yeah. causes pain. The woman was, so sort of, it's not in that clip because we have to sub it down for this, but like she explains that it is a service. So that, that's a really subtle thing that the viewer, you're, he, they're on board at that point. So rather than going, this is nonsense, what are I watching? Why are you doing it? It's, it's clear why you've got a very got clear there. why. And then so, and that's a subliminal thing that is, in comedy, if you have a good reason to be doing something, it can be absolutely bonkers, but it's still funny. And if you don't have that, there's like a missing step in the journey that makes it jar slightly. Whereas being Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If it feels random, it's just bullshit. But that's that's funny.
0: And because the show is so reliant on chemistry and on the on screen talent, yeah. I mean how much relief is there for you guys when Ramesh comes in and it works and he, he fits and it's part of the game? That
2: was brilliant actually. Yeah.
0: Like you were saying, yeah, that, that
2: episode's gone out this week and he's had such great feedback. Um, but everybody who hosted came and filled the seats. The only thing is that you you notice James has done it for so long and um, he can just move things along um, with just a simple comment or a look and I think that's
1: the only thing that... He's clearly brilliant. He yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's why I I've been doing on television for 30 years and on screen people are referred to as talent. He is genuinely worthy of the description. He is unbelievable.
0: Jack, I want to talk to you a bit about the writing process. Because yes. I think a lot of people would watch it who weren't in the industry and think mm. there wasn't really much writing because mm. it is supposed to feel like it's, it's fresh <laughs> yeah. and bouncy. But tell us about your... the,
3: the thing, So the best stuff usually is the stuff that's off the cuff that happens in the room. But like all, I think like most creative processes, you need a structure. So say if I said to someone... Can you write 40 45-minute TV show that's really funny? There's a blank bit of paper, go. You need the structure of the format of the TV show to, to give you somewhere to start and make the jokes and stuff like that. And I think that you, you can kind of apply that theory to this in that they like James obviously has a script, and the other people work with writers throughout the day and in the build-up to show to think up funny angles on the subjects we're talking about. And uh, so I think that so I don't know, do people you people here starting out in telly or want to work in television, I think whether you want to be a writer or you want to be a producer, because our show, our show is written by writers and producers together, and most comedy entertainment programs are I think if you want to be either a writer or a producer, a good thing to do is to learn about what the other, whether you want to be a writer, learn what a producer does, you want to produce, a producer, learn what a writer does. And I, when I was a researcher making a Channel 4 chat show called Alan Carr Chatter-Man, uh, I said to the super producer, I was like, I was a bit cocky. I thought I can do jokes. I can write. I think I'm funny. I can write jokes and loads like the writers. And they were, like, he was like, don't worry about it. No, 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 no. Like you know, these guys are trusted in this room. Like we pay them loads of money to write jokes. So I went and bought a book on how to write jokes, <laughs> and uh, I can recommend it to anyone to do this. And taught myself how to write jokes. And you, uh, so I read the book, and I used to also watch. TV shows that had jokes in, things like, have I got news to you, things like eight out of ten cats. And I like, type them out and then you, you realize there's a formula. Because people, some people say that comedy is like a frog. If you dissect it, it dies. But the people who say that are comedy writers who don't want you to learn how to write comedy because <laughs> you will steal their job. So there's this, they create this myth around writing comedy and to make it feel like, oh, you have to be this otherworldly. I can't do that. I can't do that. But I would say if you want to be a producer, learn how to write comedy. Because by the end of the series of Chatty Man, I was the person collating the jokes. That was part of my job. So I'd get all the jokes from the writer's room. And i put mine in as well. And by the end of the series, I went out to the producer. I was like, about 30% of the jokes that were said on screen after the edit were written by me. And so I got them in. But he just didn't trust me in time. And then after, he said, like, oh, fuck, I should have trusted you. That's great. And so the next series, I started writing jokes. And so that's how it works. Like you, get, you get writers... And producers in a room, and was the point I was trying to make is that to be able to produce the writers, to be able to write for someone like James Corden, it helps if you know how to write a joke. So even if you want to, if you want to be a producer, I'd recommend you learn how to learn how to write some jokes if you want to do comedy entertainment. And that gives, even if you're not very good at it, it gives you the skills to know what those writers need to be good. So when you go into the writers' room, they go, "I don't have anything on this, or I can't write a funny joke on this topic." You can go. I kind of understand why because I've tried to do it myself a few times. So, we, what we do is we have, a, we have a room of people who help write James's script with the help of people like me and our producers who produce the show. And I think so, the process of doing that is like a triangle, right? So, you've got the joke, the performer, and the audience. And this is the rigor we kind of apply. So all the scripts and all the jokes that come out of the writer's room. So you've got the joke. So that has to be funny for it to be a good joke. Then at the other corner of the triangle, you've got the performer, which is James Corden. So it's a funny joke. But James has a certain voice, things he likes talking about. So if the joke is incredibly offensive, something that Frankie Boyle might say, which is still a great joke, but James wouldn't say that, that's no good, you don't want that. Uh, So it has to be something that James would say. So that's good. But then it also, the other end of the triangle, so at one corner you've got the joke, the other corner you've got the performer, who is James, at the other corner you've got the audience. And so it has to be funny, it has to be something that James would say, and it has to be something that audience either want to hear or understand. So it has to contain references that they get. So it could be a really funny joke, something that James wants to say, but if the Sky One primetime audience aren't interested in it, that doesn't work either. So you apply that theory to the stuff that's coming out of the writer's room, and if it passes that test, you're like, right, that's going to be good. And it's about finding writers that can do that consistently for your performer. So you might work with writers that are brilliant at writing for someone like Frankie Boyle or Jimmy Carr, or they do much more surreal stuff for people like Noel Fielding. They're They're great, but they're not right for us. So part of our process is trying to find writers who can write for James. And then the same process for the other lads as well. But having said all of that and getting probably too much into the theory of comedy, the best stuff is the stuff that just happens just in the happens. room. It does. And, they're taking and during the
1: records, often the funniest things where they just suddenly start yeah. talking shit to
3: each other. Yeah. And or when really Freddie pulls Jack's pants down. Yeah, yes. You know, slapstick works, doesn't <laughs> it? <laughs> and are there
0: script edits up to the wire? Do you go down on the floor as the episode is happening? or is, is it uh, We try
3: and apply a rule to production. It's quite boring, but we try and apply a rule to production where we go. Everything has to be written before show one. So we record the show over about three weeks when James is in London. And we try and make sure everything is written by show one just to make us going into studio uh, not feeling too panicky. And then, you know, James reads it, he gives notes. We do rehearsal on the day. More notes come back after rehearsal. We're working with him, it's very collaborative. He, you know, he wants to change stuff. We want to change stuff. And then, you are usually making changes in auto cue right up until the last minute, and then it's then it happens. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that because um, there's two things that have kept the show really
1: uh, as good as it is for as long as it is, and and one of them is James is a perfectionist. So mm. when you go, you're always dreading slightly going through the rehearsal with him because he, he, if anything's not right, he'll spot it, and. Um, so it really means, I think we've often yeah. said that you go into the studio where you've really rigorously gone through everything to make sure because James isn't happy of not going in. And so he's a real perfectionist, and that helps. That genuinely helps. On a long series that's been going on for 14 series where everybody can begin to get a bit forward, that really makes sure you, you try. And I, I think the truth is, I think we'd all say this, is that David Taylor, who um, has been producing it all this time, is obsessive. Obsessively perfectionist and always pushes things and mm. won't stop. And, I mean, we were just talking mm. about uh, the show that went out. David's been in America for two weeks because we're doing a, an American version of it for CBS, and so he's been over there working on that. But his first thing he did when he landed was looking at Twitter to see what the feedback was on the show from the night before on the way in in the car. Wasn't he talking yeah, about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I mean, he just, he, it's that level of perfectionism is, is, is what's kept the show good. I mean, Jack has a, exactly the same thing, too, mm-hmm. but it's
0: key. And, Angie, mm-hmm. let's talk about these games, because unlike <laughs> anything else on TV, really, I mean, w- where does it all come from? Is it is the sky the limit, or do you, are you working within strict parameters?
4: Oh, uh, uh, well, then, yeah. OK, so at the start of the series, uh, George bits the team together. We all get invited in, or hopefully do. And uh, we've got 16 holes to fill. We've got 16 games to come up with. And... Uh, It's a blank piece of paper again. So we go, what do you, what do we like? Everybody likes the assault course. So we try and reconfigure an assault course again, which is straightforward. Uh, Popstar penalties normally comes back in and that's a good one for us. And then, and then we're struggling. So yeah, (laughs) that's that's what we sit there and go, whoopsie, what do we do now? Um, uh, The round two games are, uh, here's one thing about, I would say, because there is is a format that actually nobody really gives a, a damn about the score. Our games can be more about... Nobody's counting, seriously. It's like you knock him over five times or it runs a bit over, unlike other game shows I've worked on. That's critical. With this one, you've got room. So it, it, it's either, as Jim would say, where's the funny in the game? If the game isn't funny. We shouldn't be doing doing it unless it's really scary. Then we're doing it. So <laughs> it's like, funny, aha. Uh-huh. No, Well, hell, we're up in the sky. You know? And everybody, mm. I don't know whether you know this or not, but People don't like heights. You yeah. can say you like heights. As soon as you get up, there, it's a different ball game. Yeah, you know, that's what it is. So we've got, we've got doesn't really have to score these things. It should be funny or it's very scary, and and that's what we do. And then there's a gang of us, the four of us, and it's the best team in the whole operation. Yeah, you want to be on that team, <laughs> really? You do. Jack tries out a lot of the games, well, and that's all that's all good news because uh, some of us are, yeah, you know, past that. Uh, but uh, no, it's it's yeah, we just find what works there's always uh, there's going to be a footballer involved somewhere so there's got to be another football game we've done 14 series of this we've done every damn football thing we think of you know it's like, what else can we do so you know a bit of rugby but nobody wants rugby cricket is definitely a no-no because james hates cricket and is isn't funny um but you know so we struggle there's four of us uh, the senior guys tend to come up with the 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 the, the, you know, the bulk of the games and the new guys that are joining the team it, they're very, you know, they're learning their trade, as it were. So they're, they, you know, I gradually, as they move up the ladder, they start to produce these new games, which is great because we need them. We steal from all over the place. We really do. We borrow. We look at a lot of Japanese stuff. We look at stuff we did on Gladiators, stuff we did on Fear Factor, stuff we did on on Token Wipeout. All of those are all references. Ninja Warrior, all of that stuff, and then we put our little spin on them, or we come up with something. Totally fantastic, which is often the case, but that's brilliant. Slippery tug off. but you come up
0: with some incredible things, yes. and then someone has to convince these people to do them because it's all right. You want them to look scared, but they've, they've got to actually do them, haven't they? I mm. mean, how difficult can that be? Well, it <laughs> 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 would be. It's not your It's not your job. So, tell like, us. when yeah.
3: said that I do lots of them because we, we set a rule. Uh, that if, you, if you're if you asking a celebrity to do something re- that looks really dangerous, that is completely safe because Andrew's designed it to be so, if you can say, I've done it, you immediately take a massive leap forward in terms of gaining their trust. Because like, they can be really scared, but if you go, I did that in rehearsals yesterday, here's the key to it. When you get up there, it's really scary but when you do this, it's not so bad. That's like a bit of a secret, that's like a production secret that we always yeah. try and do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, yeah, you spend a lot of time reassuring them. Well, yeah, I've
4: got a, a guy that works in the hour, and he, he, it's funny, we have a little, in our games team, it's like we, one voice from the games team, and it's always Aaron's voice that talks, and the, talks to the punter. He's been doing the show the longest. He knows them probably the best. Um, he's done all of them. So let him talk, and we all stand back. That's it. Mm-hmm. When, they, when they won't do it,
3: Jack! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jack! But like, so you think we have people who come on the show who are... Th- like, we had Mo Farah coming on the show, <laughs> and he was just about to do... Oh, okay. So he, he came on just before he did the Olympics, and we had to, like, be really careful about what he wants to do. But he's mad, so he was going, yeah, yeah, I want to do it, I want to yeah. do it, I want to jump off that, I want to jump off that. His agent's going, no, <laughs> please, no. And, like, he had this... M- he was going to do the London Marathon last time. too. He he'd won the Olympics, done all that, Super Saturday, the mobile, all that stuff. And then about three years ago, he was, gonna, he was like, I'm going to set out to win the London Marathon. i mean, the first Englishman to win the London Marathon. And Nike had got behind him. He had this massive night campaign. He was like head to toe in Nike gear on our show, mm-hmm. talking about doing the London Marathon. The London Marathon was like the next week. And we... He was going to do an assault course he didn't. and he did the assault course and at the end this big foam boulder smashes into him and he like fell over and he was absolutely fine but his agent was like nearly crying. Was, like, Georgie! Georgie! <laughs> but we have to make them incredibly safe because the people were asking them to do the games. comedians have got entire careers. The comedians, obviously, careers yeah, the comedians obviously see the funny it. side and they're up for it and they know yeah. that their television presenters or their comedians its part of their job but when you're asking like you know. A, play, a football player gets paid £200,000 a week to do something. You've got to make sure it's safe. And we've got a really good track record with that, and so that's what we fall back on. But sometimes like they want to do it, and their representatives are going, like, absolutely, mm-hmm. not they?
0: Right. Your turn. You've sat very patiently. If you have a question, please just raise your hand and we'll ask the panel.
6: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, very early on, you said that when you were originally um, formatted in the programme, you, you watched Derek Antonar, um kick someone, which is fantastic. Mm. It, uh, it was very good. Mm. And, uh, but you said that, that the, the new people attracted to sport were um, mainly sort of women at that stage. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I don't know, I always thought that the programme being more appealing to men rather than women, although oh, looking around here, I mean, it's obvious the balance of the audience is far more. I think there's only four lads in the room. Um, So, but do you think it actually does draw a female audience strongly? It's it's, 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 rated as lads TV, isn't it? And the TV program you mentioned was um, top gear. And also, I know in in the office, I work in an office in a very dull, miserable day job. So, unfortunately, rather than in TV, which would be brilliant. But it's... it's, um, it, it is more that the lads who watch it rather than girls in the certainly.
1: I mean, um, look, it is yeah. obviously quite a male watch. But um, the, thing, the thing that is interesting about that is, yet yeah, the, the new audience that at the time that was coming through was, was largely driven um, uh, by women, you know, in terms of suddenly finding an interest in football that hadn't necessarily been there before and for the reasons, you know, that I was, I was suddenly interested in it. But in terms of developing shows, the thing that is the ones that really work um, is when you uh, discover an audience and potentially a new audience that's driving interest in the show. So there was another show years ago, you probably never remember this, called The Big Breakfast um, on Channel 4, which is a morning show. And so I did the pitch for that in the company I was working at with a couple of other people. And the thing we realized is that if you wanted to have... It was the first time that morning shows were been tried in Britain. If you wanted to get an audience to drive um, uh, viewers at that time of the morning, what we understood from research was that a lot of parents were plunking their kids down in front of the TV whilst they were trying to get ready for work. And all the breakfast shows were about news. So what we thought we'd do was um, make a show that would appeal to kids. And and by that, could also have news in it and all that kind of thing, but with very bright primary colors, it had people in there, basically lots of stuff in that that kids could be plunked in front of, and yet it wouldn't exclude other viewers. And that was phenomenally That absolutely unlocked the appeal of the program, The Big Breakfast. But in the same way, um, What was brilliant and what unlocked the appeal of this was that sport until then had been something that men watched and in a family, it was very divisive and excluding because the rest of the family didn't want to watch it with whoever it was that liked sport because they didn't like sport either. So you did need the people who liked sport to take it seriously. Hence why we've got proper people who really do know about sport and there are heroes to those (coughs) people but you needed the rest of the family not to feel excluded. So if they sat down and watched them with it, it wasn't a guilty pleasure for just one person in the room. And Sky is a family channel. So it needed to be able to be something that was appealing to a broad range of viewers. And that is generally the process that you find anecdotally from people who are fans of the show. There's, it is very male, but people who enjoy it, you know, <laughs> the broader family are, are 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 the kids and the you know their partners and and they like it because they don't feel excluded, and and that was does that answer the question? that's yeah, a really interesting
0: point. Thank
5: you
0: very
2: much. Is there another question? Um, oh, sorry, sorry. Um, I like um. So I'm. Yeah, a graduate. I like and um, love comedy writing, and I like yeah, like to study and just write different types of comedy writing. And um, my question is, um, like, would you say in order to become a writer for uh, like a comedy like a show like this, um, would you have to start as a researcher, or how would you go about it? Uh,
3: I would say. There's like there's a few routes in that uh, that comedy when you speak to people who are comedy writers, they've usually come in through a variety of routes. Either they're perfo- either they're a comedian. So lots of people who work in these write- in writers' rooms are comedians themselves, or people who were comedians and maybe their career didn't take off as well as they hoped. And now they work as writers, or you can go up being you can come in through being a researcher, assistant producer, and then try and diversify into writing and Contribute jokes and try and write and put your jokes forward. Uh, or you can go in and just try and be a writer off the bat. And I think the best advice I could have for someone trying to start out like that would be to go and watch as much stand up comedy as you can. Go to Edinburgh if you can, or uh, try and get involved in the comedy scene. Help put on Comedy Nights is a good way of meeting comedians and working. Comedians need writers. Uh, so if you can, you know, get to know some comedians and say, I can help you, they're always up for some free material. Uh, other ways of doing it is to find... So what I'd say is I'd, buy, I'd start by buying a book on how to write comedy. I think, like I said earlier, people are snooty about it not being able to be analysed, the, but there is a formula, so I'd try and do that. And then send off your jokes for free is always good. Like we get a lot of emails from people going, I want to write for your show. then that's it and they haven't included anything whereas it's always best to say i'd like to write for your show here are 10 jokes that i wrote that i think would have worked in last week's episode that's a really good way of doing it then you catch your attention and you read them and you go yeah this is really good or you give some feedback or whatever but i think uh i think the best thing to do would be to start by like i say you know buy a book on how to write comedy and then I think the best thing I did was, like I said is transcribing jokes, because you find that there are formulas and people, that you, people use formulas, especially on like, you think comedians who are on things like, have I got news for you, "Mop the Week, eight out of 10 cats, they've burned through so many jokes. Like up comedians are very precious about their live show. They'll very rarely get writers to help them with that. So say they're doing a tour, that's usually theirs and they're like, no one's touching this, they're very proud of that. But when they're appearing on television, they're a lot less proud and they want help they're happy to receive jokes. I think that's probably the best advice I get. And also, just start, start doing it. Just start writing jokes.
1: Have guts. Though, yeah. Because it's bloody scary. Yeah. And um, it's very male dominated. That's true. And it shouldn't be. And it's terrifying to try and break into it. And there's <laughs> a lot of knockbacks you get. But it really behooves the people who get through are brave. You know, they don't get. You know, they even no matter how humiliated or times they fail, they keep putting themselves forward. And you've got to be prepared to do that. And uh, so just yeah, don't don't give up on it. Yeah, you know, you true. can get in there. And I genuinely hope you do because there is too many men doing it.
2: Mm-hmm. I am a writer and comedy writer, but I've always been with an agent that doesn't fuel feed entertainment shows. So although I've written sketches on various shows over the years. Um, this is a kind of mystery as to how these writers come along and I see, oh. I mean I can see so a lot of the names of the writers that you use used, is people that I remember from being on the circuit a bit, doing sketch oh. comedy like 20 years ago oh. Sean Pyre how often do you actually add to that writer's room on, a, and is there a time of year to do it And do you go to agents I'm sure you do go to agents but the ones that do have entertainment type comedy oh. writers, is there a particular time of year and do they sort of submit like packs like I would submit a sketch pack to somewhere or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think do you have that same process going? Yeah, on?
3: yeah, agents often contact us and say, Oh, we've got this person who's writing, here are some of their jokes, what do you think? And uh yeah, so we do we often freshen up the writer's room as much as we can. But you know, the performers they trust certain writers, so it yeah. is hard to get in like mario was saying, you has gotta keep banging on the door. Yeah. And I think the best thing to do is to, like I said before, send examples and then that's, you know, if they're good. The, the best things about comedy is that the pr- it's so easy to prove whether you're good because the audience don't laugh at nepotism. Like, do you know what I mean? They just laugh if it's good or not. And so I've, I know people like Jimmy Carr. as a. I know people who have been researchers on shows and have just given him packs of jokes. And he is like a machine at writing jokes, one of the best joke writers in arguably the world. He'll look at it and go, yes, yes, yes. I'll have this, and give the guy like five hundred quid for three jokes, and then that kid then joins his writing staff. And it's it's, it's that's the kind of the way to do it. I think it's always just to send in some stuff, uh, get your agent to send in some stuff, and yeah, we go from there.
1: And when we generally record our series in July, and then eight weeks, probably ten weeks before that yeah. is the point where you're thinking, is there any new people you can bring on? Yeah. So around that time, yeah. roughly, yeah. If, that's yeah. <laughs> if that's helpful. That's
0: cool. i am just <laughs> take yeah. one last question from the ladies yeah.
2: Thanks. Um Hi. I'm worried just to say I was one of those young people you would grab with big breakfast from the ages of 13. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 <How> <laughs> <have> <laughs> um, and Jack, what was the book that you bought when you were no. training
3: right. to be a comedy writer? <laughs> Let me Google it. Let me Google a it. A yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll Google it now. I'll tell you in two seconds.
0: Is there another question? Why giggling? Yeah, uh,
2: yeah hi. it kind of links two questions actually. I'm just sort of thinking on your point about not many women uh, writing, but also still the kind of dominance of the of the kind of um, the male rivalry as as a, a sort of like with Top Gear, like with well you know the league of their own uh, question of sport. It, it's that kind of the male band and the male rivalry, even though there are female presenters, female participants. Do you think there's a, a, a link between those
1: two things? Well, I don't know. For us, it's sport. You know, it tends to be quite male dominated, and you. But at the same time, like we, I think we've made clear, what we're trying to do is make a show that goes beyond that, and so it's important to us that it's not just a load of hairy arse blokes, and um, and that perspective was always key. So when we were doing the first series of this, um, my business partner Danielle Lux who hates sport was key because we could always turn around, at some point, I actually knew an awful lot about sport at that point, so I wasn't completely objective, but she was. And um, so you could say, do you know who this person is, or does this joke make you laugh, or does that make you feel alienated? And she was always a good litmus test. And it's stayed like that throughout. Yeah. You, need, you need that duality, because the, the, the appeal of the program
3: depends on it. I think times approach. are changing, aren't they? But like yeah, you look right. at the Ashleen B and Sharon Horgan's new sitcom; they've both got one independently, brilliant. Yeah. And I think the like in terms of production, and I think it's it is changing. There are more female stand-up comedians coming through, and on because panel shows have always had this stigma of being quite a male-dominated space, and that's changing, which is brilliant. And we're trying our best to facilitate that as well.
0: And the book that will make you an amazing oh, yeah. writer yeah. is. <laughs> this is genuinely good because there's
3: a load of shit ones out there, and I've read a few, but this is a good one. So it's a guy called Gene Perret. His name G E N E P E R R E T. And if you Google that, and it's the the new comedy writing step by step guide. That's yeah, that's a good one. Some of them are rubbish, but
0: that's a good one. Or sure. just watch a leak of their own and see what you guys do. Thank yeah. you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. And thank you thank guys. You yeah. Thank you very much. Joining us and remember you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bacter.org.